0: learning to program is about self-driven exploration universities help guide you coding boot camps provide a rigorous environment to work in and online coding courses provide content for you to study but none of this by itself will turn you into a great programmer you need the drive to improve and the curiosity to explore the recurse center is a place where people can come to become better programmers Nick Bergstrom-Shilcock is a founder of the Recurse Center, and he joins the show today to discuss how Recurse Center works, why he started it, why it's important to to influence programmers to have this curiosity to explore and this, this self-driven exploration. This episode is a continuation of our exploration of coding boot camps and online courses and universities, these different pillars of programming education. And the Recurse Center is a really interesting study because it presents yet another unique model for improving as a programmer, for learning new programming skills and programming languages. I hope you enjoy this episode, the Recurse Center with Nick Bergstrom-Shilcock. Nick Bergstrom-Shilcock is a founder of the Recurse Center. Nick, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thank you for having me. So what is the Recurse Center?
1: So um, RC is a free uh, educational retreat for people who want to become better programmers. Uh, so it is a very self-directed environment. People come from all over the world to spend either six weeks or 12 weeks focused on uh, writing open source software and collaborating collaborating in a very self-directed environment on, um, with other folks who also want to become better programmers.
0: What do people do when they join the Recurse Center? So our core
1: motivation and focus is helping people grow as programmers. So we try to build an environment that uh, removes as many obstacles as possible in the way of people's growth. So the primary thing that people are doing at RC is focusing on how they can become better programmers. So what that looks like for individual people uh, varies greatly because the people who come to RC come from a tremendously diverse range of backgrounds. the primary thing that most people are doing at RC is programming. Um, but what that looks like day to day is uh, is highly individualistic. Um, so that might include doing code reviews, contributing to open source projects, starting your own project, doing a lot of pair programming, um, uh, running or attending small workshops or seminars, giving presentations. Um, It's kind of a a, a whole range of things that people do day-to-day at RC, and it's really based off of what their individual goals are and how they want to become better programmers.
0: So we've done a bunch of shows about coding boot camps, some shows about university education, shows about online education formats for software engineering How does Recurse Center contrast with those different mediums for education?
1: So I think there are kind of two dimensions in which you can uh, think about this question. The first are just the very uh, practical, logistical differences we have. And the second are kind of the philosophical differences. Um, So we like to describe RC as like a writer's retreat, but for computer programmers. So uh, people come from all over the world to um, spend their time at RC focused on becoming better programmers. Uh, But it's a very self-directed environment. Um, So we do not have a curriculum, we don't have teachers, um, people are not coming for for job prep or training. Um, They're coming because they want to become better programmers. Um, So I think that's the first big difference is that we are very self-directed. And that ties into one of our kind of core philosophical beliefs, which is that people learn best Um, and fastest when they are in control of what they're doing um, and when they have the freedom and the opportunity to focus on what they're actually interested in. Um, Okay,
0: So, could you give me a few disparate examples of people who have come through the Recurse Center, what they did at Recurse Center, who who they are and what they did afterwards?
1: Absolutely. Um, So, there's a I'll kind of give you a a sampling of a a wide spectrum of folks. Um, So RC attracts some very experienced programmers. Um, So for instance, um, we have an alum named Chris Ball, uh, who came to RC having worked in the industry for a number of years? He had been VP of engineering at a um, venture backed startup. Uh, I think he was the lead developer on the OLPC project, had um, done substantial open source work. And he took RC as basically a three month sabbatical where he f- focused on his personal growth. And worked on one major project for the entirety of his time, which was building a distributed, uh, basically, a distributed version of uh, GitHub on top of the BitTorrent protocol um, called GitTorrent. Um, And after RC, he went on uh, to be a software engineer at Keybase. Um, So that's kind of one extreme of of very experienced programmers coming and using RC as like a a three-month sabbatical. Um, On the flip side, we have folks who are very new programmers who come to RC, who maybe have been programming for just a few months um, and uh, are just kind of getting their feet wet. They've gotten past the point of tutorials or um, just kind of writing the first few small programs, and they want to kind of go to the next level. And so we have lots of examples of folks like that who have come and spent time working on typically a series of smaller projects. And then possibly after RC, they take their first uh, programming job. Um, One important note is that people do not need to want a um, new programming job in order to come to RC. A lot of people come to RC and afterwards don't choose to take a new programming job. Maybe they're in the middle of um, graduate school or they want to start their own company eventually, or they're freelance programmers. Um, So we are not actually focused on just people who are interested in new programming jobs. We're focused in anyone who wants to come and spend three months becoming better programmers.
0: I love the flatness of the proposition that the Recurse Center offers, because people learn programming at such a variety of rates, and they pursue such a variety of things Throughout their programming education, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to have a linear path. I mean, some people learn very well through highly structured coursework. Um, other people learn through doing projects. Other people learn from doing a bunch of Project Euler problems or going through a coding textbook. It's really this this expansive. A uh, way uh, there's an expansive um, area of different paths that you can take through the educational process of programming, and it sounds like Recurse Center sort of offers a buffet of options for people who uh, want to explore it in their own way.
1: I think that's exactly right. Um, I think you can kind of think of RC as kind of the a la carte option. Um, so people come here and maybe uh, they spend their time at RC partially focused on working on their own open source projects, partially focused on doing an online course, maybe organizing a code review or a computer science theory book club, Um you know, they can t- draw upon lots of different resources. I think one of the great things about the Internet today is there's already more educational material um, than any of us could possibly consume in a lifetime. Um, and so we at RC kind of start with the idea that the primary obstacles in the way of people's growth and the things that will really help people get better, are is, it's not just how do we devise some perfect, you know, ordering of information and what is the right set of information to give each person, right? Because what each person needs is going to be very different. Um, The things that we see as much bigger blockers in the way of people's growth is access to um, highly motivated peers and other smart folks who can help you learn. Um, It's things like having enough time to actually focus um, in very large chunks. It's being afraid to acknowledge when you don't know something, um, even if even just to yourself, so that you can then dive into learning that thing. Um, and so, a lot of the focus at RC is how do we build kind of an environment in which people can be very autonomous and self directed, uh, but that helps them be much more f- uh, efficient and effective in their learning. Um,
0: yeah, and much of that plays into the environmental challenges, the attitude challenges that uh, are encoded into the uh, code of conduct and the frequently asked questions uh, at Recurse Center. But, you know, one thing that came to mind when you were talking just now is uh, in contrast to a coding boot camp. So, uh, you know, I, I know some people have gone through coding boot camps recently. They like the coding boot camp experience, but... Uh, some of them, at least one of them, ha- has commented on, like, the expense of a coding boot camp. And, um, you know, what are you really paying for with the boot camp? You know, you're paying for this this education process, but as you remarked just now, like, there's plenty of online resources for that education process. So what do you really need to pay for? Um, Well, the most important thing that you're getting out of paying for a coding boot camp is probably access to a group of people that you're interacting with. And really that social setting, that that, uh, that that feeling of electricity when you walk into the room of everybody's working on something, they're hacking on something, um, and they're really motivated. Uh, but when you look at it that way, then a, a lot of the coding boot camps perhaps have a little extra fat around the edges uh, in terms of creating content that they could just repurpose content online if people actually want that.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, absolutely. So, uh, you know, when we started RC about five and a half years ago, um, there was no such thing as, as, you know, coding boot camps. That wasn't even a term. Um, but what we were kind of starting with is uh, my co-founders and I talking about uh, our college experiences. Um, uh, one of my co-founders and I, we both went to a pretty traditional um, computer science uh, program, Uh, And we enjoyed it. We really benefited a lot from it. I'm not one of those kind of anti-college or anti-university folks. Um, But uh, there are kind of two things. One is it didn't feel like it helped us become better programmers that much. Uh, We felt like a lot of our growth as programmers came from either work we did on our own or our first internships or things like that. Um, And the
0: other is- Or hanging out in the computer lab.
1: Exactly. And that was the other big thing, which is a big part of what we got out of our university experiences uh, was the set of people that it introduced us to. Um, In fact, that's actually how I met one of my co-founders as um, we were in the same college class together, and it seems really odd when you step back and think about it that you ought to have to spend you know fifteen or twenty thousand dollars on a boot camp, or you know maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars even on a university ed- education uh, just for the opportunity to uh, you know meet other people who have similarly paid so much money.
0: Is so for those who might be confused, uh, Recur Center is a business you you make money through job placements. After people go through the Recurse Center, you encourage them to get jobs um, through the Recurse, or you don't encourage them to get jobs through the Recurse Center, but you say, if you're going to get a job, please let Recurse Center help um, so that you can make some money through the job pipeline. Um, I am kind of interested in the the business, but I'm more interested in, like, is the long-term vision for... Recur center like when i think of Recur center I've, I've never been there but i imagine it to be something like the atmosphere of like a public library where uh you know it's kind of this public resource where people go and they mingle and they use communal resources and there's a there's a feeling of pursuit of knowledge um i mean is that what the long-term vision is something like a public library
1: that's a really interesting analogy uh i've never actually thought about that one specifically uh but i like a lot of parts of it um Yeah, I mean, our our long-term vision is we want to make the absolute best place in the world to become a better programmer. Um, And we think RC is really great, but there are also tons and tons of ways in which it could be way better. Um, And so we're kind of um, relentlessly focused on how do we make RC a better environment for people to learn? Um, One of those is how do we make RC itself bigger, um, continue to grow? Because we actually think our model is a little bit different in that it improves as um, the people involved, the number of people involved, grows. Um, And this is one of the reasons why uh, diversity is so important to RC is that our model is in many respects kind of diametrically opposed to the traditional classroom or curriculum based model. Um, Where if you think about it, a, a typical classroom or curriculum based model works best when everyone coming, you know, kind of a small group of people who are effectively all clones of each other, right? If they all Uh, have exactly the same learning styles, exactly the same goals, exactly the same prerequisites and current knowledge, um, and they all progress at exactly the same rate, then you could imagine a a kind of uh, lecture-based, curriculum-based model working really well. Um, On the flip side, RC would work terribly if you just had a very small group of people who um, we're all clones of each other, right? RC gets better as you have people from more different backgrounds, uh, who have more different perspectives, who are coming from different past professional and, uh, other types of programming experiences because they bring together all sorts of different pieces of knowledge that they can share with each other. Um, and so, you know, an RC where you only have five people, well, maybe there's nobody else who's a machine learning expert or who, uh, has done a lot of work on production distributed systems. Uh, but as RC gets bigger, uh, both the current batches and also our alumni network, it becomes um, way better for those things such that if you want to do work on distributed systems, well, now there are lots of people in our community who have done substantial work on distributed systems and who have worked at you know major tech companies on those things and who can share their knowledge and you know review your code or give you feedback on your project.
0: Right. And you mentioned <clears throat> some diverse uh, backgrounds that people come from. Uh, I read that the three most common professions that recursors come from are finance, consulting, and law. And to me, these all seem like procedural careers. They are careers that have creativity at the margins, but I feel like I've met a lot of people in finance and law and consulting and these people i know are tremendously creative but they i imagine that their their ability to execute on that creativity is often hindered by the work domain that they find themselves in and and then they hear about programming and they decide they're going to make a career change is that kind of the 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 narrative that you hear these people talking about when they're you know when you have these lawyers Come through, and they're like, "Okay, I'm ready to switch to programming because I want to access my creative side once again in my career." Why? Why do these people in procedural endeavors come to the Recurse Center?
1: Um, well, a quick a quick note is so that actually that stat on our website, uh, I should probably look into it again. We put it up there a couple of years ago <laughs> when we had surveyed the group at that point, which was, I don't know, like three years ago. My ma- my guess is that that's actually changed since then, uh, oh. though we've certainly had more folks uh, from those backgrounds continue to come. Um, there's just such an, an unbelievably long tail of backgrounds uh, of people who have come to RC. I mean, we've had uh, professional ballet dancers um, and performance artists and like stand-up comics and like a, a huge range of folks, um, in addition to people from, you know, pretty traditional procedural backgrounds, like like you mentioned. Um, so uh, to kind of directly answer your question there, I think for some of those people, it's looking for a more creative outlet. Um, but also some of the people, you know, we, we have people who, have been professional lawyers, but they were programming on the side for a number of years um, and now want to spend more time focused on where um, they, want, they want, and they now want to make a career shift. And sometimes people um, are in another field and they want to come and spend three months at RC to really focus on kind of programming as a craft, but because they then want to go back and apply programming to their field. You know, maybe they're a research scientist and they're surrounded by people in their day-to-day work who don't really focus or think about how to write, you know, good, high-quality, maintainable code. And so they want to spend three months uh, focused on that so that they can then bring those skills back to a, a lab environment. Um, so there's there's a really wide range of, of reasons that people want to become better programmers at RC. And sometimes it's because of a, a career shift and sometimes it's not. Um, a little over half of the people who come to RC uh, have worked professionally as programmers prior to coming to RC. Um, so... Uh, the people who are making a full on career shift, you know, who have never worked as programmers before are a minority of the folks who come to RC, um, though they're a substantial Mm -hmm. one, probably on the order of about 40%, Mm -hmm. I think.
0: Okay. So there is this, uh, kind of growing narrative or discussion about should everybody learn to code, um, or there's different gradations of that discussion, um, when I think about reading, writing, and arithmetic, the 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 things that people often talk about as the cornerstones of a public school education, when you compare programming to reading, writing, arithmetic, it seems like there is as much general applicability, as much mileage uh, that somebody gets out of a basic, basic knowledge of programming. Um at this point, do you think we're at a a phase or we're at a point where everybody needs to learn to code?
1: I think there are a couple of ways to answer that question, but I guess the concise way is no. Um, I I think it is true that effectively everyone could benefit from being able to program if even only just a little bit. Um, However, I don't think that Uh, translates into everyone should learn how to code. Um, I think everyone who wants to and is interested in learning to program and who makes the assessment for themselves that it is worth their time to develop this skill uh, and then apply it in their lives however they want to, um, should learn to code. Uh, But I kind of hesitate to to make a broad edict like everyone should learn how to code.
0: Uh, would you make an edict to the same degree that people should learn to read, write, and do basic math?
1: Um, I guess I probably would not. Uh, I think those things are also skills that are fundamentally very important and extremely valuable. And I think people do learn those skills uh, given, you know, opportunities um, and certainly, you know, things like basic literacy um, is extraordinarily valuable and effectively essential in order to like kind of navigate the world. Um, but I think, you know, basic math is an interesting case where certainly, uh, it is valuable for everyone to understand some basic mathematics. However, I would say that, um, that doesn't actually really, well, that's not the the world that we currently live in. Right. I would say that most people don't actually learn, um, basic math at a kind of a developmental level of, of actually understanding, uh, math. I think people kind of learn math in a, uh, in a superficial, by-rote way. Um, But I really don't think that you can force people to learn, um, and I I mean learn in the sense of actually actively understand um, Mm. basically anything. Um, I think you can force people uh, to um, regurgitate things or to memorize things um, or to fake their way through a test or a class. Um, But I kind of start with the approach that, you know, I think a lot of times uh, people think of... Uh, education as being kind of vessel filling that, that people are these empty vessels that need to, to have knowledge poured into them. Um, and the kind of mental model or uh, metaphor for education that I prefer to use is the, you know, kind of, active engagement of the learner, right? That, that education is a thing, is an activity that the learner has to actually be actively involved in. And I think that fundamentally means that it is, is has to be a consensual activity. That's something that people are actually choosing to do, that they're actually intellectually engaged in a way um, that requires their consent and their own involvement. Um, and so I think really that is at the core of, of how you actually really learn anything. Um, but all that's to say is, of course, reading, writing, arithmetic, programming, all of these are tremendously useful skills, um, and we want to support people in learning those things. Uh, But I don't think yelling at people and telling them this is what you should learn or this is what you must learn by time X uh, is a particularly productive strategy.
0: Got it. So talking more about the Recurse Center, as we have discussed, Recurse Center is this mostly self-directed environment. The freedom to explore is core to the structure, and... This is kind of orthogonal to most other types of education because there's no exams, uh, breathing down your neck that are, you know, going to come up in a month that, uh, you know, you, 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 I remember this feeling from college where, you know, you're this, this anxiety is gradually welling up as you come closer to the exam. There's no grades. There aren't much classes or curriculum. Uh, So give, give me more of a picture of how this works and how people learn in this environment.
1: The first thing is that the people come to RC, right, are actively choosing to be there. In fact, almost everyone who comes to RC makes huge sacrifices to do it, right? Uh, The average recursor uh, probably quits their job and move states, if not countries in order to attend RC. So people are coming to RC because they really want to be there and they want to be there, um, you know, not because they get some sort of degree or certificate or what have you. Um, We explicitly do not grant either of those things because we don't want people coming for proxy reasons. We want people coming because they want to become better programmers. So I think just that one difference gives us a huge slew of advantages, which is everyone who's at RC wants to be there. They're making an active choice to be there. And therefore, people are going to make good use of their time there um, and care about it and focus on how they can actually get a lot out of their time at RC. So instead of thinking about how can we force people to do X, Y, or Z, we think about how can we provide lots of useful resources. So for instance, instead of having teachers, we have something called facilitators who are full-time RC employees who are programmers themselves, whose uh, primary reason for being at RC is to help people get the most they can out of their batch. So that means we do things like help people brainstorm project ideas, or rubber duck talking through what, you know, based off of what people's goals are, or how they want to grow, um, what might be a good path for them to follow through RC. Um, And so uh, because we're starting with a group of people who are so actively choosing to be at RC, uh, we don't have to spend a lot of time thinking about how do we force people to learn X. Um, Well, if they are actually not interested in learning X, then that's not really our goal. Um, our goal is to help people, uh, assuming that, you know, they're coming to RC in the first place uh, to become better programmers, help them become better programmers. Um, That doesn't mean we don't give advice or that we don't give feedback, uh, but it does mean that the kind of ultimate arbiters of people's education and growth um, are individuals themselves, um, and that we are there in effectively a support role to help people flourish and to help people grow as much as possible. Um, But ultimately, in line with the goals that the people set out for themselves.
0: Now, a large component of that, uh, giving people freedom, uh, helping them, uh, learn to explore this area properly is you want to remove fear from the participants. You want to, uh, Iron out cases where people might feel imposter syndrome. There are these interesting social phenomenon that really get highlighted uh, as as it, when you're a programmer sitting down to try to accomplish something that requires this mix of creativity and focus, and um, there are so many psychological things that can get in the way, um, and. I feel like you know when I was reading your your rules, your social rules, um, you you really have a sense of the types of psychological and sociological impediments that programmers can encounter as they are learning to program. So why don't you talk through some of those unique challenges that? people encounter, the psychological and sociological challenges that people encounter as they're learning to code, and how you can factor those out with the right environment and the right set of social rules.
1: Yeah. Um, So, yeah, as you mentioned, we have a set of four lightweight social rules that are designed to help make a more kind of productive and enjoyable educational environment. Um, so the first of these social rules is uh, no well actuallys that we actually started before we even uh, were running RC. Um, my co-founders and I uh, would actually well actually each other all the time. So a well actually is when you kind of interject or interrupt somebody in a conversation um, or respond in a way that. Um, you know, maybe corrects some pedantic side point, but uh, detracts from the actual core thing you're trying to discuss. Um, it's
0: like, well, actually, you can have a garbage collector for C++ if you implement it. Correct,
1: yeah. Like, um, that, you know, that's a good example. Um, or, uh, so So anyway, basically any anything um, that kind of takes away from the core focus of what you're trying to actually convey um, is kind of an obstacle in the way of this. And this was the thing we noticed ourselves doing. We would not, you know, be trying to have a discussion about our company or business and we would um, be doing these well actually is that we're kind of uh, subconsciously we realized, you know, a way to try to assert yourself, to show that you know something or that you're clever or you know, whatever, rather than focusing on how to actually grow, how to get better um, or how to solve the problem is at hand. Yeah, exactly. Um, And so that we started uh, just amongst ourselves and we noticed immediately that it really improved our, our working relationships, that we became more effective as a team so when we actually started the first batch of rc it was just kind of obvious to us like this works so well internally for us that we want to make sure the environment we're building here is going to include it then the following three social rules um, which are no feigned surprise no backseat driving and no subtle uh, isms uh, those all came about uh, over the course of our first three batches as we observed um, behavior that we thought was either educationally or socially disruptive. Um, so no feigned surprise is means that you shouldn't act surprised when somebody says they don't know something. Um, so, you know, if I had said, Oh my God, I can't, you know, if, if I, uh, you know, I had said, uh, what's a garbage collector. Um, you know, and you said, oh, my God, I can't believe you don't even know what a garbage collector is. How can you be a programmer and not what a, know what a garbage collector is? You know, that's kind of uh, has no social or educational value. All it does is kind of grandstanding for one person to try to make themselves, you know, kind of feel a little bit better about themselves. Uh, but the m- much more salient and, and, and problematic aspect of it is that it makes, uh, you know, the person who admitted that they don't know something uh, feel bad and be less likely to acknowledge they don't know things in uh, the future. And this, I think, uh, is particularly uh, harmful in programming because so much of what we do is is cum- cumul- uh, uh, cumulative, you know, where it keeps building on it um, previous things. So if you don't understand something and you just kind of don't either acknowledge to other people or to yourself that you don't understand and you just kind of keep muddling along, um, it gets kind of worse and worse. And so what we want to do is build an environment where people are comfortable saying, I don't understand. I've never heard of a garbage collector. Could you explain more about that? Um, so that it is an opportunity for people to learn something new, um, rather than you know to kind of shy away from or just pretend that they, they know something. Um, and the third is no backseat driving. Uh, backseat driving uh, means basically people shouldn't uh, unhelpfully kind of interject and lob advice in uh, when other people are collaborating or working together. And that if you want to um, be part of a conversation or collaborate with people, then you should actually become kind of fully engaged and you know say, hey, can I can I join this conversation or can I can I contribute in this way? Um, because again, that is just gets at a behavior that we saw as disruptive um, to people trying to actually become better programmers. That you know maybe two people are working through a problem and they know that they could go look it up on Wikipedia, but the, the value to them is being able to actually work through it on their own. And so somebody just interjecting, um, and not really having that context, uh, you know, can be disruptive. Um, and then finally, uh, no subtle isms is our attempt to provide kind of a third path for dealing with things like sexism and racism and homophobia and other forms of oppression. Um, and so for a lot of times, um, especially folks from marginalized groups, Uh, you know, when something happens, it's it's kind of small. You know, somebody asks, like, where are you really from? Or uh, (laughs) you're a woman at a programming meetup. Microaggressions. Yeah. And you're at a programming meetup and, you know, somebody asks a woman, oh, uh, do you know how to code? Or things like that. Where they're very minor things and you kind of have this choice of, do I either say something and make it seem like I'm making a kind of a mountain out of a molehill or making a big deal of it, or do I not say anything? And then over time, these little things kind of build up and it just kind of increases tension and makes things, you know, just kind of worse over time. Um, and so the goal with um, our fourth social rule, the no subtle isms, um, and also with really all of our social rules, is to provide kind of a, a lightweight release valve, a way for people to give each other um, and to receive this very lightweight feedback and say, hey, um, you know, that's subtly sexist or, hey, that was backseat driving. Um, not in a way like, oh, you broke a social rule. My gosh, you're a bad uh, you know, person or even a bad recursor. Um, you know, the expectation is that people break the social rules sometimes and that's fine. Uh, we all screw up and make mistakes. Uh, it's just the important thing is that people then have a way to give this feedback in a lightweight way, hear it and then move on. Um, and so that we've found has been uh, very effective for making an environment that is more conducive to close collaboration and people being able to uh, acknowledge and then address their ignorance.
0: Mm. So you mentioned the example of this guy that came through Recurse Center and he built a version of GitHub on the peer, on a peer-to-peer protocol uh, on BitTorrent and. Mm-hmm. That that I find really interesting because it is this example of somebody who's doing something experimental. Uh, it's it it kind of resembles a product. Uh, so it's, it's it's something that maybe would be done in graduate school, but not really. Uh, you know, it's it doesn't have immediate uh, perhaps you know uh, business viability. So this might may not be something that this guy would do on his own. So it's kind of like It it makes sense for him to come to somewhat of a learning environment to implement something like this. Um, What draws experienced developers to the Recurse Center? They've you know experienced developer has so many options. You You could go to some random startup. You could go to a big company. You could go do research at a university. Why would you go to the Recurse Center?
1: Um, so it's, it's funny. It's kind of this interesting uh, split when sometimes when we describe RC to people, um, you know, kind of one group of folks responding like, oh my gosh, that sounds like paradise. And one group of people say, wait, why would somebody who's already a programmer and can get paid to do it ever come and just spend three months working on becoming a better programmer? <laughs> um, and so I think the answer is uh, if you're the type of person who... It really enjoys the idea of getting to actually focus on the stuff that you're interested in. You know, writing in the language that you're interested in learning, or that you really most enjoy working in, and starting a new project that, yeah, you know, has maybe no, you know, financial value, or at least direct, you know, immediate financial value. And, you know, you want to be able to work on the stuff that you're actually interested in. That is a major draw of RC. Um, Even for very experienced programmers, uh, it's really hard to get that as an opportunity. Um, You uh, you know, at most jobs, uh, rightfully so, right? Uh, The work that you do day to day, even if you have 20% time or whatever, the bulk of your work is doing something that's of value to the company, which may be in line with how you want to grow or what you're interested in, but may not be. Um, And certainly your top priority at a company is rarely your own personal growth. Um, But at RC, it's flipped. Your top priority is your own personal growth. So that's one major reason. Another is that when you come to RC, you're surrounded by other people who are similarly motivated. Um, We look for people who are smart, friendly, intellectually curious, Self-directed and who enjoy programming and want to get dramatically better, um, regardless of if they've been programming for you know several months or a couple of decades um, or anything in between. So again, back to you know our earlier discussion of access to a really awesome group of people. Um, that's another uh, reason to come to RC. Um, I think also there's there's a kind of an element of, of almost a uh, like a social hack involved in RC in that. Uh, there are aspects of RC that you could recreate by just uh, quitting your job and staying home for three months. Uh, but there's something kind of frowned upon societally of being like, I'm just going to sit around at home and program. Uh, whereas if you do a thing that has a name um, and it is someplace else, uh, that it's much easier to, to tell your, you know, your coworkers and your friends and your family, um, I'm quitting my job and moving across the world Uh, to do RC, Uh, um, so I think that is another benefit that we provide. And then we try to, again, uh, in addition to the people that we fill RC with, we try to bring as many uh, other useful resources as possible into it. Um, So opportunities for code review and pair programming and workshops and seminars. Uh, We bring in outside residents and a lot of outside speakers, um, sometimes very prominent folks. So, for instance, just yesterday uh, we had... Uh, Jerry Sussman, uh, who's a co-author of The Structure and Interpretation of Computer Programs uh, and also legendary MIT professor and AI researcher and a slew of other things, uh, he came and spent the whole day at RC and then gave a talk on building uh, kind of more robust software. Um, and that's the type of opportunity that you can have at RC, but it's very hard to find you know, anywhere else.
0: Yeah, I can certainly contrast the, 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 just, the, just the, the sole idea of doing something on your own, but having people around you as being really important. Um, I mean, I have been doing this podcast, and a lot of it has been in an extremely isolated context. I don't know many people in Seattle, which is really not healthy. It's really not healthy to spend a, a long period of time uh, by yourself. Um, but the same thing, uh, but, but, by the same token, it's really valuable to program to hack on something by yourself and encounter all the challenges that you encounter hacking on something by yourself. Um, and I, the recurse center seems like this really interesting medium where you can get that personal growth, the, you can hack on whatever you want, and you can also have access to, um, a community of people, um, Support community socialization. Community's
1: been a really amazing and somewhat surprising thing. Um, When we started RC, we didn't realize just how important and big a part of uh, RC the community would become. Um, And now I think, in many respects, it is actually the most valuable and interesting part of RC. Um, our informal motto is never graduate. Um, and while you know people come to RC to become better programmers, uh, there are a lot of other incidental benefits that people get that we didn't actually expect. Uh, so one of those big one, things is is people make really close friends, like uh, amazingly close friends, over a relatively short period of time, which is really fascinating to see. Uh, you know, they, I, when we started RC, I don't think I expected that um, you know people would uh, end up being in each other's wedding parties, right? Um, or traveling around the world together um, and you know, meeting up in other countries, or all of these incredible social bonds that get established uh, because people are working together in you know, a friendly and collaborative environment. Um, and then so even if they only spend, say, three months at RC, uh, those bonds and many of the benefits from RC we see, um, they actually you know persist for many, many, many years later. Um, and so our community is now about 850 people um, who have come to RC from uh, nearly 50 countries now um, and so there's this just incredible community globally distributed of people who both have uh, you know, shared this experience with each other um, and also then have an opportunity to meet lots of other people who have been through the community who may not have been in the same batch but they still have this kind of shared experience because they both went through similar things um, and that's something that we, we really did not expect when we were starting RC.
0: Mm. Talk more about the business model of the Recurse Center.
1: So RC is free for everyone to attend. Um, We've never charged any tuition or any other fees, and people can attend RC regardless of what they want to do after it. So people come to RC sometimes, and they've already accepted a new programming job before they get here, or they're only uh, you know sophomores in college and they still have more school to go, or they're in the middle of grad school, or what have you. People don't need to want a job. Um, However. If people come to RC and either right after their batch or many years down the line, they are interested in a new programming job. We provide lots of tools and support to help them um, ideally find one at one of our partner companies. Uh, so we work with a number of companies ranging from small two or three person startups to uh, you know mid-sized startups that are several hundred people to large public companies to, you know, um, technology-focused hedge funds and other finance companies, kind of a broad range of companies. And we have effectively recruiting agreements uh, set up similarly to how contingency recruiting works, where um, if we refer somebody to a company uh, and they hire that person and they stay for at least three months, then the company pays us uh, 25% of base First year salary, um, and that is a fee that the company pays on top of the salary. It's not something that you know individuals pay. Um, it doesn't affect you know people's uh, you know uh, salaries or paychecks in any way. Uh, the company pays that fee directly to RC, um, and that is how we fund all of RC is through uh, revenue from placing our alumni at our recruiting partners.
0: Okay, and ha- have you uh, does the does the the money from that is that balancing out well in terms of the expenses that you have.
1: So yes and no. Uh, yes in the sense that we have operated exclusively off of that revenue for several years now. No in the sense that it limits uh, how we can grow and what experiments we can try. Uh, because while we make enough money to uh, stay in operation, you know there are countless things that we'd love to be able to do, uh, but. Uh, we're constrained by, uh, you know, our business model working well, but not uh, so super well that we are flush with cash and can uh, grow and try all sorts of interesting experiments like that. So uh, mixed, I guess. Uh, But the thing that we continue to focus on is how to make our core business work better and better so that we can then reinvest that money into making RC a better place to become uh, a great programmer.
0: Do you see some of the effects or the, some of the um, the the things that Recurse Center and certainly some of these coding boot camps, some of the things that these places are doing right, do you see that propagating to the back to the universities?
1: You know, I don't think I've kept a close enough eye on what exactly universities are doing to really answer that question well. Certainly there are things... Uh, that I've seen universities do that seem like partially a response to things boot camps at least are doing. Um, you know, i seen classes based around like at, 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 you know, major respected universities that are based around like learn full stack web development. And certainly that's very different than the type of uh, material that was covered, uh, you know, when I was an undergraduate um, just, you know, eight or nine years ago. Um, beyond that, I, I don't actually know how much they've really incorporated Um, i I would imagine that they will continue to evolve and change uh, but to be honest i think one i think it's both a uh, a positive and a negative thing that we've done is we are are pretty focused on what we're doing at rc and the things we need to do in order to be better and I think that has a lot of benefits in that um, it keeps us focused, and I think that's really important for kind of any institution or organization or company to have uh, is lots of good focus. Uh, but it also means that uh, we haven't spent as much time kind of looking out to what the rest of the world is doing, um, and uh, I think that, that certainly has its its downsides.
0: So, what are those those things that you feel you need to improve on? Are there some? kpis that you keep track of or what are you looking at in terms of what will be to the benefit of Recur center if you improve
1: so one thing we would like to really improve on rc or i guess really change about rc is we would like to see um many more people working on kind of substantial uh larger scale software projects so i mentioned the um the GitTorrent project earlier. I think that's a good example of the type of thing that we'd like to see more of. Um, most of what people work on at RC is typically smaller projects that maybe only last um, a week or a few weeks, uh, rather than major pieces of open source software that you know take months or years to develop um, and we would love to see more of that type of work happening at RC. So that's a thing that we've been thinking about recently is how do we foster an environment to make that makes it easier for people to focus on uh, kind, of, kind of more ambitious projects and, and larger scale software projects? Um, because we think that that would actually make RC a better educational environment. And also that there are a lot of things that people learn in tackling projects like that uh, that you can't learn Or typically don't learn on on smaller scale projects Um, and then also of course we think that that would just benefit the world if RC were uh, producing a substantial amount of really valuable open-source software
0: Mm. so when people go through the recurse center and they have an unsuccessful outcome what is usually the cause of that
1: so I think one pitfall people fall into at RC is uh, it's, it's kind of two things, but I think they're 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 related to each other. The first is that RC is a legitimately different environment. The things that make RC really great um, are that uh, are are also those that make it really challenging. Which is that um, in so much of the rest of the world, uh, there are people telling you what you need to do or what you must do or what you must work on. Um, You know, whether that's in uh, school or at work, um, what people actually do and a lot of times what their actual goals are, are ones that uh, they haven't really set for themselves. And so figuring out how to set your own goals and how to operate in a self-directed environment um, is a big struggle for almost everyone who comes to RC. Um, and I think that the folks some folks struggle with that more so than others. Um, and it always takes people some amount of time to kind of adjust to figuring out how to, how to navigate RC. Um, and kind of in line with that, a challenge is, because there's so much interesting stuff happening at RC that on any given day there might be a, you know a code review uh, group and a, a book reading group and a little intro workshop on some sort of new tool and a presentation and you know you're working on your own projects and somebody's asking you to pair a program and there are all these interesting things that you can do uh, which is you know on the one hand great and and what makes RC so special. And on the other hand, really, really challenging because uh, it's easy to get distracted and to spread yourself too thin. And I think so one of the core challenges of RC is how do you, uh, you know, leave yourself open enough to serendipity and being distracted so that you can take advantage of all these great things going on around you, while at the same time, not becoming so distracted that you can't really focus or go deep on anything and you're kind of only doing things at a superficial level. Um, And I think that's a, that's a, you know, a core struggle that all of us face. um, And it's, I think, a particularly challenging struggle at RC.
0: I agree with that. Uh, I think the, the, and also the things you mentioned just about the, the business itself, I think focus is so hard in any context, Uh, whether you're a programmer on your own or a business or, uh, you know, it's just the age of distraction and focus is, is always a challenge. You can't have enough of it. Um, so I guess last question, if somebody is listening to this, they're interested in checking out the recurse center or becoming a member, what is the process for applying and what are some tips for people who are interested in going to the recurse center?
1: Um, So uh, people can apply on our website, which is recurse.com. We have a short written application where we ask people to solve a a simple programming problem, basically a a variant of FizzBuzz. Um, We ask people to share a small code sample, which is uh, a piece of code that they've written on their own from scratch uh, to give us a sense of where they currently are as a programmer um and then we have a couple of short essay questions where we ask people to explain why they want to do rc um what they're hoping to get out of it or learn um and things like that Uh, we review those applications and then the ones that we think are promising we invite to a first round uh conversational interview where we actually spend most of that time discussing a lot of the things that uh a lot of the same questions that are in the application you know, why do people want to come to RC? Uh, what would success look like for them? What are they hoping to get out of their time at RC? Uh, what, what A little bit more about their programming backgrounds, um, what they're interested in learning, uh, things like that. Uh, if that goes well, then we invite people to a second round pair programming interview. Um, and the goal with this interview is to... Um, get a sense of what it's actually like to program with somebody. So people can choose uh, whatever programming language they are most uh, comfortable in and uh, definitely encourage people. Uh, one easy way to improve your odds of getting into RC is just choose the language that you are actually most comfortable in. Um, don't choose something that you've just started working in that day. Um, and. Uh, People can select either to work on one of their own projects that they already have and propose a feature or some addition they want to make to that uh, during the interview. Or we have a set of a few small suggested pairing tasks that people can select from. Um, And if they choose one of those, then there's information about what they should work on uh, before the interview and then what they and the interviewer will work on during the interview. Um, And what we're looking for there is, do people understand the um, code that they're writing? Do they have a reasonable mental model for it and the language that they're using? Um, are they open to feedback? Are they people that we can you know, communicate well with um, and collaborate with? Um, things like that. Uh, so as far as advice for applying, I think uh, the first thing is to kind of get uh, the, the basics right. And I mean, um, you know, taking the time to reflect and think about, okay, is RC a thing that I really want? Um, and then thoughtfully answering the questions on our application. Um, Make sure to uh, actually uh, write CracklePop, uh, the the short FizzBuzz variant that we have correctly. There's no trick. We're not expecting some super clever solution or something like that. We just want to see that people can write uh, readable code that's reasonable, that actually works and uh, prints out what we're expecting. Um, To include a code sample that is representative of where you currently are as a programmer. Uh, and, uh, so I guess those are the primary pieces of advice for the applications, uh, phase. Um, I think, uh, common pitfalls in the interviews are people who want RC for reasons that aren't really, um, what RC is. You know, if, if people's primary interest is, uh, starting a a business or, uh, something else that. Doesn't actually, that isn't actually aimed at becoming a better programmer, then RC is probably not a good fit because it's not going to help them get what they really want. And you know, to my earlier point, one of the most important things is that people are coming to RC because they want to be there and because they have goals that are in line with and compatible with what we're doing. Um, so that's one thing that we really care about. Uh, we also care to see that people are already programming. So even if somebody has just started programming a few months ago, we want to see that they're not just talking about programming or that they have a theoretical interest in it, but that they've actually taken the time to sit down and write some code. Um, I think that's very important. Uh, the next thing uh, that is, I think is, is pretty important in just a general kind of meta-interviewing uh, meta skill is we don't have any trick questions. Um, and it's just really helpful when people just honestly and directly and straightforwardly answer a question. Um, the goal is not to have, uh, you know, don't have talking points or whatever. I think some of the most challenging interviews are when people aren't kind of intellectually engaged in the conversation. Um, and so I think just really listening to what questions we're actually asking, thinking, and then responding, uh, sounds kind of simple and silly, but I think is actually uh, hugely helpful in, in being, you know, kind of more successful um, at getting into RC. All
0: right. Well, Nick, this has been a great conversation. Um, I am a big fan of the Recurse Center. I think it's a really unique approach to education and coding and building stuff. So thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate it. It's been
1: my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, Jeff. It was lots of fun.
0: Thanks to Symphono for sponsoring Software Engineering Daily. Symphono is a custom engineering shop where senior engineers tackle big tech challenges while learning from each other. Check it out at symphonocom slash S-E Daily. That's S-Y-M-P-H-O-N-O dot com slash S-E Daily. Thanks again, Symphono.
1: Wow.